Welcome to the Sovereignty, a royal gossip podcast. As always, all statements are our own opinions unless otherwise sourced or noted. The Sovereignty Hi, everyone. Hey. Welcome back to the Sovereignty. This is... Uh, our crown recap of season four, episode four, called Favorites, but we're going to touch on some current events, I guess, real quickly. Yeah. So I'm sure most of you guys took a lot of Advil this week from eye rolling because Harry and Megan are starting a podcast network thing now. Now, I don't eye roll that they're continuing to be in media because everyone's like, Megan, you're an actress. Go do what you do. And what she does is entertainment. And this is her wheelhouse. However, I do find it interesting that they're continuing to publicize large deals without any content, at least hitting the public yet. Like maybe start with Netflix and then in a year do Spotify. It just Mm -hmm. seems very much of like, a money and attention grab. I do think the message behind what they're going to do with the Spotify deal where they want to highlight um, different voices of people and positive messaging is a great direction to go. I just think that's very similar to what they're doing on Netflix as well. And so it's like, let's perfect one before we announce the other. I also um, am very annoyed with the influencing of so oprah posted a instagram of her receiving like a care package from a neighbor m Um. with a crown next to it so everyone picked up pretty quickly that it was megan markle and she was i think it was like collagen powders or like protein powders no they are uh superfood instant lattes they're oat milk instant lattes okay there you go so something else even more egregious that you know the common consumer might not be able to afford or have And I also thought it is a little bit uncomfortable that Oprah is one of the most, um, she's not a billionaire, but she's pretty close. Like she has one of the highest earnings of all time of like, and she's talking about her neighbor, which means that Harry and Meghan have to have a very expensive house. Um, as we all know that it's been publicized, but it's just, it it does have another like set apart of they're not as relatable as they're approaching and trying to be. Yeah, um, I just and I also don't think that like so Megan invested in this brand. I think it's called Clever C L E V R, mm-hmm. and it's she's wanting to invest and in, and help promote women owned businesses. Also wonderful. I just it rubs me the wrong way that it's like an influencer move yeah, from a person who's supposed to be like, at least she views herself as a peer, I think to the Obamas based on the deals she's making. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's they're following along in their footsteps. So I have a question for you. Why do you think that they are not using social media right now? I think because their foundation isn't finished yet. I have a sneaking suspicion that they are not allowed to use social media as part of their deal. 
as part of their deal with leaving the British royal family, things being coming back in a year. Because if they were to use social media, they would be very followed. They're very popular. Mm -hmm. But because they can't use it with their name, I don't think that they're using it. And then, so I think that's why all of these things are coming out because you know they would have put this on their Instagram and she would have shelled those oat milk lattes on her Instagram. But Honestly, do I don't think she would because I think she would view that as beneath her because of the, the attention that we're seeing right now is like, this is the move of an influencer, not a foundation. So she would have had her friends do it similar to like what Oprah's doing. Um, it just makes me uncomfortable. It's one thing to be a private investor. It's one thing for Oprah to be like, Oprah alone just saying, look at these great new lattes, not announcing who it's from, would have gotten that business a ton of tra- like traction and attention and, and mm-hmm. what Megan's goal is, which if Megan's goal is being a connector and promoting women's businesses, she does not need to have her name in anyone's mouth in that in those moments. So I don't part of me wonders if Oprah just like did a flex. Like Oprah doesn't have to ask for permission. And she's like, I got this thing from Megan because or if or if and she thought she was, you know, doing Megan a solid and Megan's like embarrassed or if it was just all intentional. I would be embarrassed if I was Megan. I think it's intentional. Okay. So I think that it just it did, it did not sit because well with me. To and- me, a lot of people would be like, oh, let's get on Oprah's favorite things. Wasn't ready for Oprah's favorite things, but to get a shout out on her Instagram is way more personal than being on her favorite things list and the... Yeah, no, I think this was all planned. But speaking of friends, let's talk about Kate is on the cover of People Magazine this week. And it says, let's see what the cover says. It says, Kate's private world, new details, what her relationship with William is really like, the close friends she leans on, her confidence as a mom. She's no pushover. I think that this is... You just think it's like a random puff piece, like not even... Yeah, because Will and Kate are notorious for keeping friends that are very tight-lipped and also in like bigger circles, like closer circles. Her friends don't, there are not pieces out there that have been. If I don't been, think it's a friend. I think it's someone who works for staff. Um, so if you follow their press tour that they just did, so they were riding on a train. I don't have all of the stops, but they kind of did like a Goodwill tour of the UK via train, just the two of them. It did not have a overall winning reception to the country. I think what they were trying to do is promote front frontline workers and, you know, bring messages of good and love and support to people who cannot be with their family and cannot travel, but they were traveling to do it. So it just kind of seemed a little off. Um, I think the messaging was behind it was great. I also think they're in a hard position where they need to look like they're serving the country and they're in the middle of a pandemic. So if they're just shutting their doors and not doing anything, it also looks bad. So I, I do feel like they're not in, there's like a no win situation in that regard. So I don't like view the Goodwill train tour as a bad thing. I just understand where people view it iffy. And so mm-hmm. since it wasn't like a super positive review they also had a had a like photo that came out um with the whole royal family standing apart which was reviewed well because that's the money shot that everyone wants to see 
And then they also back to back the release of their family photo and timing, which I think if you, if you want to say that they have PR strategists, like, of course they do. And, Absolutely. and I think that was also like, let's get that out quickly too. And then I don't know their timing if they normally release it on their accounts the day of Christmas or if it's before, but I know that people were starting to put it on Twitter, like that had received it. So they I think, it, it, yeah. I think it Actually, makes sense. Last year they never officially released it. Oh, okay. Okay. It. Um, it, it was shown on the queen's desk as she did the, Christmas, her Christmas address, and it was leaked on Twitter, but they never officially released it last year. Okay. And then, um, and then they also had this recorded message that they did a video and, and a play that they allowed frontline workers, kids to come to that was socially distanced and kids were masked. I was uncomfortable that they showed up unmasked, but I understand that that's the photo that people want to get. Um, and then while the kids were watching the play after they had given their wish list to Santa, they made sure the kids all received the gifts that they asked for that were very specific and very cute. And it was a great video in regards to like supporting each other and holiday cheer and making sure frontline workers get attention and like something mm-hmm. special and, and their maybe- families. And- yes. Cause their families have also paid the price of this yeah. pandemic and it just, I don't know why it made me uncomfortable because I'm scared of large groups of people still. And I was like, no, no. Is there something else they could have done? But I get that it was very magical for the kids. Um, So there was that. And then this release and this people. So they're definitely doing a PR push to like, oh, and the other thing that, um, so Lainey Gossip was basically saying that they believe that all of this back to back to back trying to handle is to counteract the negative press from the crown. Um, interesting. Okay. That's an interesting because, um, they're obviously like, there's no saving Charles <laughs> at this point, but they want to show stability and, and warm reviews from to Will and Kate who will be the future and like the modern Royals. So, yeah, I, that's, that's a very, I, I typically don't agree with Lainey. Um, but I enjoy that takeaway. I um I actually very much agree with it. I think it's very interesting. I I also thought the timing of the announcement of a Spotify deal right after Will and Kate did a recorded message. I'm just like they're and and Lainey's like they're both attention whores, like Will and Harry and or sorry, Will and Kate and Harry and Megan, just in separate ways. And sometimes they handle it well and sometimes they don't. I know you disagree with it, but I if you think for a moment that Will doesn't like attention. I think I they- think I think you're like googly eyes, like like no. rose colored glasses. I think that. Oh, sorry, I have to sneeze. <laughs> she muted. I did. Um, I do think. I mean, that's what they've grown up with. They've grown up with the press and the attention. So I think that they like to spotlight the important things, especially with. You're right. This bad, this bad press because of, of the crown and. They need to show stability. They need to look like they're the ideal parents. They need to smooth stuff over. Speaking of looking like the ideal parents, as a good segue into this. Yeah, into this episode. episode. Because there are a lot of thoughts that I want to bring up now, but I will go ahead and, and save them. 
No, it's perfect. We had a, a 10 minute wrap or wrap up of the week. Um, yeah. So this episode is not one of my favorites of the season, <laughs> but it is titled favorites. Um, so did you want to start with your? Yeah. Okay. okay. So I just want everyone to remember that the crown always comes first. That was ingrained in Elizabeth since she was a young child. Um, it's an interesting episode about family, especially about motherhood and the queen being a mother, not only to her country, but to her family as well. I completely agree. And if you have watched past seasons, which we'll eventually recap, um, you'll know that her father went from having being able to be like a full attentive parent to having to go into being the king without his choice because his brother abdicated. So she went from having probably a much more hands-on relationship with her father to seeing him give up everything to leave the country through turmoil. Mm -hmm. And she has nothing but like love, admiration and respect for her father. Uh, And so I think that she views it as her duty to never abdicate, never put her needs above the country. Yes. So there we'll start with episode. There's a race going on. And it's Paris, 1982, and the streets are super crowded. Everyone's cheering. An announcer is speaking French, but it's subtitled or not subtitled, so I have no idea what's going on. Um, we see then Prince Margaret or whoa, Prime Minister. I gotta I gotta label my sh- stuff. <laughs> we see the Prime Minister um, Margaret Thatcher step out of a car at Buckingham Palace, and she looks ill like just looks terrible. And she has a meeting with the queen and we're then next in the room. And the queen is basically giving as much of a scolding to Margaret as she can. And she says, prime minister, when you first came to power, you told me you hated seeing Britain in decline and that you were going to get the house in order. Now, almost three years on, we have inflation at 12% unemployment of 3 million and rioting and civil unrest in several major cities. Margaret agrees, but there's no magic button to fix anything she says. And she's like still looking super sick. So you're in this moment, you're like, is she just upset about her poor review or is something else going on? And she's like choking back something. And I put, oh, it's tears. It turns out she's sick with her own emotion. And she complains about parliament holding her back. And she just starts weeping. Like she loses it. And she apologizes immediately. And the queen's like, oh, it's fine. And then... Margaret says in disgust, it's so unprofessional. The very idea that the first time a prime minister should break down in the room and it be a woman. And the queen chuckles like kind of, but holds it back. And it's like, it is by no means the first time a prime minister has broken down in here. Over the years, this room has been part office, part drawing room, part confessional and part psychologist couch. We even have paper hankies or brandy. What a flex. We even have paper hankies. Like I'm not will like help you, but also like, I'm not going to wash your hankies. So you can well, that's my that. thing is like, <laughs> Kleenex was probably pretty normal in the eighties. So it's like, it's just a, fl- like everybody. You think it's a flex? I know. I, it was just a really cute moment. I loved it. It was cute. I thought it was cute too. So the, the, the prime minister, Margaret Thatcher goes, is basically like, do you have whiskey instead of brandy? And she's and grabs a Kleenex and then the queen gets up to make her a drink. And it was like a thoughtful moment. Like she was definitely being ho- like hosting her and the queen never has to get up and make a beverage for anyone. But I thought it was like a very nice moment. 
Um, Margaret says, it's my son, Mark. And she's like crying and, and inferring that there's something wrong. And the queen asks her and she goes, oh, you have like a son and a daughter. And prime minister confirms she has twins, a boy and a girl. But my favorite Mark, a very special child, the kind of son any mother would dream of having has gone missing. And then now we realize why she's like so sick to her stomach. Um, so he's been in this Paris to car car rally, which I don't really know a ton about, but it, it seems like it's like a race across a few countries um, with unplanned like routes and whoever gets there first wins. Seems like a party. Um, and she's like, he and his team drove through France and they are somehow now lost in the Sahara desert. And then we cut to Mark and we see him and a woman teammate arguing about where they are, which is like the most traditional, like a guy never wanting to ask for directions. And the woman is like, we're lost. And he's like, no, we're not. I know exactly where we are. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I put, he's that asshole. And then we see Margaret crying again, saying she hasn't been seen in two days. So this uh, in real life did occur on January 12th, 1982. That was the day he was reported missing. That evening, um, it's said that if from radiotimes.com that the queen did send a message to uh, the prime minister of her concern. So what I'm wondering is, is this timeline doesn't really seem to add up. We never really see the queen being surprised or like in shock. They usually brief the queen as to what is going on. So I'm going to go ahead and say she probably wouldn't have been blindsided about his disappearance. That's a really good point. Um, the Dakar rally, which is formerly known as Paris Dakar rally. It started in 1978. They go from Paris to Dakar, Senegal. It's an off-road endurance event. They have bikes, trucks, cars, now UTVs and quads are their own subdivision. So they still do it. They do. There have been multiple deaths and a, and a ton of non-fatal accidents during this race, which does continue to this day. It's it's very intense. No, it just, I'm like, there's, I hate laughing. It just reminds me of that Grey's Anatomy episode where like one day every year, all the guys on the bike, like cy- cyclists, like just would go crazy and everyone would come in injured. I random, it just, it sounds like this where people <laughs> go hard for no reason. Um, Mark... Uh, He wrote a piece for The Guardian in 2004 called Lost in the Desert, and he said, it all began when I took part in Le Mans in 1980. One of the sponsors happened to mention that they were running three um, pergots in the Paris Dakar, and would I like to do it? I said yes and forgot about it. And then the guy rings me up a year and a half later and says, can you come over to Paris a week on Tuesday for the press launch for the Paris Dakar? I thought, oh God, I'd forgotten about that. But when I thought about it, I realized not many people get the opportunity to try and cross the Sahara Desert. And this and this was only about the third year of the rally. So for that reason alone, I decided I would do it. I did absolutely no preparation, nothing. <laughs> I did half a day's testing. And the day after that, we were driving out of Palace de la Concorde in Paris. I was thinking, okay, I wonder how this is going to go. Yes. Sounds pleasant. Mm -hmm. So essentially something like broke in their car and they weren't able to fix it. So the other people that were kind of around them, they were like, let them know where we are. Well, he claims that they said he was 25 miles to the east when really he was 25 miles to the west or something like that. So even he's still blaming people for this. 
other people besides himself and having no preparation. He seems exactly like his mother. He seems and also well. like the worst. Like <laughs> whoever married him, I feel very sorry for. Um so then we see the queen and her husband watching TV and they're talking about Mark Thatcher and how he's now not been seen for five days in the episode and helicopters are searching for him in the desert. The queen is like chatting to Philip and seems like kind of tense and pensive about something. And she's like, the prime minister said something rather interesting that her son is her favorite child. And the queen is just shocked that someone would admit that, especially having twins. And Philip's like not surprised at all by this. And he's like, of course, yeah, like that's normal. And the queen's like, who on earth would admit to this? And he's like, any honest parent. And she's like, well, who's our favorite? And Philip's like, my favorite or your favorite? And the queen is like completely aghast. And she's like, fine, tell me who's your favorite. And he's like, Anne. Like, so, like, blank blanket, like, there's not even a question. And she's shocked, like, with no hesitation. Like, how can you have a favorite? And he's like, duh, lady. It required no thought. Like, not no thought at all. It's totally in. And she's like, Philip. And uh, he goes to tell her who her favorite is. And she cuts him off saying that she doesn't know. And he's like, you're a liar. And he literally says, your lack of self-knowledge is sometimes breathtaking. And that is my favorite line of like the entire show. And he's oh, like, Ever- not mine. I'll, when we get to mine, you'll know. Okay. He says, everyone knows who your favorite is. And she's like, tell me now. And I honestly believe her that she's so far removed from like her feelings and emotions that she just lacks total self-awareness. Like she's so like my needs don't matter that I don't even know who my favorite child is. She totally does have a favorite, which we'll get to. Um, but I believe that she's so unaware. Um, and then we cut to the TV again with an interview of Mark Thatcher before the race, which I wonder if that ties into what you were just reading. Um, but he's like, all mothers worry about their boys. It's hard for them to get past maternal instinct. They get emotional. And I'm like, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Um, so go ahead. Um, okay. So from some research, Mark is actually her favorite. <laughs> uh, the Thatchers had two children, Carol and Mark. They're twins, born in 1953. According to uh, an article from The Guardian called Thatcher's Children, A Tale of Twins with Mixed Blessings, um, I got the following. So Carol has a law degree from University College London. She worked as a journalist in Australia, then as a TV reporter. She worked for the BBC, the LBC. She wrote travel articles. And she's actually frequently written about how she felt always felt second to Mark. In 1996, she wrote a biography of her father, Dennis, and produced a documentary called Married to Maggie. And this was actually the only publicized um, interview that Dennis actually ever gave. And there was a documentary called Thatcher, A Very British Revolution, and it said the challenges of being a mother and prime minister were considerable, and to be perfectly frank, she rather failed. (laughs) She didn't have enough time for her children. She rather overindulged Mark when she perhaps underindulged Carol. So let's go to Mark. He received three O-levels, which is the lowest passing grade at ordinary levels. He failed his accounting exam three times. He got lost in the 1982 race, and Margaret Thatcher actually gave 2,000 pounds of her own money to find him, which today is about 8,200. 
He made a commission on an arms contract that Margaret Thatcher actually signed. He was investigated for loan shark operations, and he helped finance a coup and received a four-year suspended jail sentence in South Africa. So keep all of that in mind as we go through the rest of this episode. Now, and yes, people can have bad moments and be human and reform and change, but it seems like Mark is awful especially in this episode and uh carol seems like truly like a devoted daughter and just gets nothing in return Mm -hmm. it's it's very sad uh when so philip says anne is his favorite and as i've been reading these books uh in in the royals by kitty kelly there are two or three instances where she writes anne prince philip's favorite or Prince Philip's favorite daughter, Anne, or like only daughter, but nobody ever says why. So this is from what we can find. So they do both detest the press. It is actually stated that Anne and Philip are extremely, extremely similar. They are very devoted to what they do and they don't like any of the nonsense. So they both can quip at the press in a cheeky manner, but it's actually pretty rude. Um, Prince Charles and Prince uh, and Prince Philip don't have a great relationship, but he and Anne do because she is so no-nonsense and low-key. And while it isn't quoted anywhere, many have said that Prince Philip actually wishes Anne was heir to the throne. She is less... She's less emotional. And yes. she... And, like, the quote you said last episode when you said, like, close your eyes and... Close your eyes and think of England. Yes. She understands the duty aspect, mm-hmm. whereas it seems like Charles is never able to put duty over himself. Correct. Um, so now we're in the South Georgia Falklands territory or Falkland Islands territory. Um, I have no idea where that is. I should Google, but it's somewhere. It's a fun fact when... I'll tell you. I'll tell you the fun fact later. I'm sorry. I found I have so many fun facts for this episode. And I have no facts because I trust her to do the research on the real life stuff. And so I'm like, I know nothing. I know nothing. Um, so we see men doing mapping. It looks like they're doing like longitude and latitude surveying of land. Uh, I'm not really sure. And then we see other men doing hard labor in a small town, like fishing village on the coast. And they're speaking Spanish. And then we see someone hang an Argent tinian flag and then british men walk up to the area and they see a building spray painted with words that say las malvinas son argentinas meaning the falklands are argentine um so the british men are like what the fuck is going on and you're like whatever you're doing is illegal you need to leave and the argentines say the british are illegal and there's a pissing match and the argentines start singing their national song and the british say we need to go report this to the governor and it appears that the argentines have laid claim to british territory this is true, um, but this is in March is when this happened. So this in no way overlaps with Mark's disappearance, but I can understand why the writers wanted to combine these two events. Um, uh, Argent- Argentina did not think that Britain would attempt to regain the island by force. There were about 1,800 people on the islands, most of them Brits. 
Um, this all did start with a flag. Uh, Argentinian scrap metal workers raised their flag on an abandoned whaling station. And then two weeks later, that's when the casualties start. Um, and they moved in to Leith Harbor in the south. How many people ended up dying? Do you know? I don't have that number. Okay, we'll have that for next week because it carries into next week. Um, it's very interesting because at at a overview level, like the British just like claimed something that wasn't theirs. So I understand the um, the the rage and the fighting, but we'll get it's there. All from a flag. I mean, technically, we're not supposed to be in the, in the country we're in. I mean, we just claimed it from other people, too. So um, colonization, boo. <laughs> A total of 649 Argentine military personnel, 255 British, British military personnel, and three Falkland Islanders died. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Part of me feels like those men who were surveying did not make it. I think that's that's valid. If you watch the episode, it seems like eh, I don't think this is safe right now. Um, but maybe maybe they wanted a message to get back, and I don't want to assume that the Argentine men that were you know laying flag were you know violent at that moment. But it 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 was an aggressive move. Um, <laughs> we see the Queen ask her personal secretary Martin to arrange time with each of her children privately and separately, but like don't let them tell any of the other ones about it. Like she wants it kind of like completely secret. She then leaves <laughs> and then she like turns around, walks back immediately. And she's like, can you maybe make a briefing document ahead of each visit with my children? So you can tell me about their interests, hobbies and so forth. So I won't look uninformed or remotely remote. And it's like, woof, you don't know your children at all. But once again, like her, she never gets to really, do anything but work. She's a queen 24 seven. Um, we see some of the cabinet talking to prime minister, uh, that her son may have been spotted. And I put the storyline bores me so much. Like I don't even care. Um, and then they are like, he's been spotted, but even more interesting, we have Rex hunt, the governor of the Falkland islands has said that they need to send a big ship as kind of like a, get the hell off our land um, to evict a group of Argentine scrap metal workers. Margaret doesn't say anything. She's like phased out. She's in another, she's so worried about her son. And I can only imagine if you are missing a child, what that would feel like. So I understand why she is like checked out, but it is interesting that she always shits on people for being emotional, but she's and like letting it supersede their work. And mm -hmm. she's having this moment. She's having this maternal parental internal crisis. Um, DT basically is like, we need you to leave. Um, and they say that they'll ask the foreign secretary for some more advice. And then we see Margaret pour herself a drink and we see her daughter, Carol, get up and clear the table. Like, so it, they're definitely like Carol's around comforting her parents during this time where they can't find her annoying brother. And um, Margaret is shut down completely. Yeah. Uh, during in this scene, uh, the, as they were talking about Mark being spotted, Dennis says that he wants to aid, and he did actually aid in the recovery and flew down there to to look for him. And that's all I have to add about that scene. Okay, so now we're back to the Queen. She has her first lunch <laughs> with her children. I wish I would have seen the briefing, but we see her meeting with her son Edward. 
he walks in bitching about the fact that people are complaining about the roads being closed. And he's like, how entitled they are. And I'm like, pot, meat, kettle. And he says this lunch meeting scared him. I think he was like worried that like his mom was dying because like she doesn't do this. Like she doesn't have one-on-one meetings with her kids. So she's like, he's like, what's wrong? And she, he's worried that there's bad news. And he's like, am I still going to get my paycheck, basically my civil list money, which I don't really know what their civil list money is, but you'll tell it in a minute. So, um, so she says, yes, all 20,000 pounds of it. He's like, don't say it like that. And I'm like, baby boy, that's a ton of money. And she's also like, that's a lot of money for someone still at school. He spend, and he's like, I spend most of it on secretarial expenses. And she corrects him to say, you only spend 800 pounds a month on that. It's Which, actually annual. Oh. Yes. Oh. Oh, my yeah. God. So he has so, even more money. Well, it's – Wait. It's 800, 800 pounds a year goes to secretarial expenses. So the civil list is only – it's granted annually to them. Oh, wait. So it's 20. Okay. I'm sitting here thinking this is a monthly. I know. I saw it as you were writing that. And I was like, I don't know that that's. I don't know why why I went to monthly. Because I'm like this. Okay. So now I understand him a little bit more. Because I'm like. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. Here I am thinking. (laughs) No, but you did a good job. Keep going. Keep going. (laughs) I'm so awful. He says that he spends most of it um, on secretarial expenses. So he, he. She's like, corrects him, like I said. And so he pockets 19,000 pounds annually. So calculation time, 19,200 pounds is the equivalent of $25,800 essentially in US dollars. Um, With inflation rate, if you went from 1983 to today, that would be the equivalent of $65,000 like a year. I was thinking this was a month. And so I put a month at boarding school. And so I just was like, he's making 60K a month. Why is he com- like, what is he talking about? So but 60K, even when you're in boarding school, is it an ass ton of money? No, it's a ton of money. It's a ton of money. It's a ludicrous amount of money if it was monthly. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. Um, um, but no, I, it, I, if you break it down, it's essentially like $5,000 a month for him at boarding school. When I'm assuming his meals, his lodging, his needs are paid for. So what are you buying? What are you buying, Edward? Um, He decides to be a total twat. And he's like, what's lunch? And he's like, poached salmon. It's always salmon in this place. And she's like, yeah, it is. And he's like, I'm amazed we don't have fins and gills. And I'm like, you are so rude. Go away. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. He looks, the actor looks spot on though. It's, it's uncomfortable. Scary. He did a really great Comfortable. Also the one who plays it, Andrew is uncomfortably accurate too. Mm-hmm. Um, so she asks him about being head boy and he corrects her and says that he's a guardian at Gordonston, which is where Philip went in the earlier seasons. You'll see Charles try to make it there. Um, it's kind of like the Royal Mail boarding school in Scotland. Um, and so she asked the best question ever. And she's like, since you're, you know, the head boy, what have you learned about yourself as a consequence? You know, the aphorism, no man knows who he truly is until either his life is threatened or he's given power, which is a great question. 
And he responded that it has unleashed a latent policeman in him. And he says, discipline is important and I have developed a taste for it. I even had someone sent down last term. Um, I sent them home for smoking. And she asks, like, weren't you almost caught for smoking once? And he's like, yeah, but I was clever enough to not get caught. And I put goddamn entitled brat baby ass chat monster. And then, so the queen's like, that's unfair. And he's like, that's life. And she's like, life has dealt you a rather good hand. He agrees, but he says it also has its challenges, which I will, any type, I assume being a royal has an immense amount of challenges, but also poor Prince baby boy, Edward, please tell me more about how hard, hard your life is. And he shares that he's been bullied and he's called Jaws due to his braces and that they flick spit at him off spoons, that they've glued him to his chair. He received a gift of wine that was actually urine that was chilled. He looks super embarrassed and telling his mom this and like kind of sad. Like, I can't believe I'm telling my mom about this and tons of shame. And I felt bad for him for like a second, like just a second. And then he's smug again and he's like, well, I'm amazing at cricket, but and and I'm doing all these wonderful things. And she's like, but your grades are kind of shitty. And she offers him a tutor. And he's like, don't worry about it. I've already met with the Cambridge admissions people at Jesus College. And they're not dumb. They know it's good for them if I attend. He's like, applications will skyrocket. Same if I join the Marines. Same if I move to a city. Wherever I go, the people will follow. And she's like, this isn't a good look on you. Like, I don't like how righteous and self, you know, how in love with yourself you are. And she's right. And he's like, but it's true. No matter what I do, people will always want me that there has to be some upside to being who we are and some return for what we do for the country. And I put, he makes $65,000 a month. And I'm like, well, obviously that's wrong. And I'm like, you're such a spoiled brat. Like you have so much return. And I understand that for some people, a financial return is not equal to the sacrifice that they have in lack of privacy and lack of choice. Um, but he is not an heir, so duty does not rule his life, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, and all I can think is that he's the absolute worst, but he's not. So um, <laughs> there we go. Into details about Edward. Uh, Edward did attend Gordonston in Scotland, and this was, like you said, where uh, Philip and Charles and Anth- Andrew did as, as well. So the civil list is public funds that are intended to support – the monarch's duty as the head of state. And there was a list of the civil list. It was an annual payment to people who were carrying out appearances and um, duties on behalf of the queen. It was replaced on April 1st, 2012. And now it's because it was rain specific and they were like, there's kind of a, like a lack of transparency. So it's been replaced by the sovereign grant. So I do love how the writers of the show are just incredibly savvy about these details. Edward has had some money problems. In 1992, he, along with Andrew, Anne, and their families were actually all taken off the civil list and are now currently funded by the Queen's private funds called the Privy Purse. He did start a TV company called Ardent Productions, and it actually broke media guidelines and filmed Prince William at St. Andrews, where it was strictly forbidden. They already had an agreement with the press. Charles was enraged. It's not known if he was actually bullied at school. There's no 
there's no documentation of that or any sort of books about it. He was head boy. He got a C and two Ds, but he does end up going to Cambridge Jesus College. And according to The Guardian, Prince Philip said, we have a friend in Jesus. In the New York Times, it was published in 1987. The Marines sponsored him at Cambridge and paid $12,000 towards his expenses. What? In, yes. And in return, he was supposed to give them so many years of service. But he quit after four months. Philip was pissed. As he should be. Salmon. So about the salmon, which, God, I love this. Okay. So according to Vanity Fair, the queen does love to eat game and salmon while in Scotland, and they have two of her favorite salmon recipes. Then dug a little further on salmonbusiness.com. Guys, <laughs> real site. Shit you not. Marine Harvest has held the royal warrant for four decades and is the salmon supplier to Buckingham Palace. So it is very much liked. And the royal warrant is um, able to be, I want to say doled out, but it's it's given to brands that the sovereign and so right now the queen can give one, Prince Philip can give one, and Prince Charles can give one. And each of their warrants holds, so it's either from, it's from one of those people and it's just, you know, like Cadbury chocolates has one. So it's suppliers of, of stuff that- I mean, Megan basically just gave her own one to Clever Lattes, which is, thank God she doesn't actually have one. Yes. Yes. So, all right. Um, so the news is on again, no news of, uh, Mark Thatcher. They haven't seen him. They show a map and an aerial shot of the desert and like picture a desert with no end. Like that's where he is. And they're, and so they can't find him. Uh, there's two helicopters, a glass bottom plane and three trucks hunting for him. And I put, I'm still bored about this. Um, they're, they say that there's 130,000 square miles to hunt for him, which is bigger than all of the UK. Um, Margaret is interrupted by a cabinet member about the situation in the Falklands and she does not want to be bothered. Like all she can think about is Mark. And so they tell her that the Argentines have now sent a large ship plus two missile carrying ships in response to that big one that they initially sent the HMS endurance, uh, which is the name of the ship from the UK. So, uh, prime minister asks with what justification have they sent this? And he said to protect their Argentinian citizens. And she's like, they're breaking a law by trespassing. The man relays a message that the foreign secretary asks for the HMS to turn back. So basically like, we're going to pretend that we didn't send this aggressive ship and we're going to try and diplomatically resolve what's going on between the two countries. She's like, that is doing nothing and it's obviously like this is triggering her now all of a sudden because she can essentially do nothing about Mark being lost in the desert. And he asks her if she can just trust the situation. And she's like, how can it be well if we do nothing? And she's like, their own people far from home, their lives are in danger. They must do something. So she's basically in this episode tying the two of the situations together. Like these people are lost or not lost, but they're, we can't abandon them. Like we can't abandon my son. Um, obviously they happened at different times. So this is a lot of conjecture by 
the crown writers of the situation, but she's basically like, we're drawing a line. We're pushing back. We're fighting back. And because her son is lost and she feels like completely helpless. Yeah. Yeah, That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. So back to you. Um, At this time, everything going on in the country, there were actually bets that she would not win the next election. And it's very interesting to see her, take such a strong stance on on the war when at the very beginning of the episode you remember she was like I can only do so much like I can't make parliament do things and and here she is being like no this is going to get done I'm not sitting back any longer um so she did take a really big gamble on the Falklands war and it didn't end up paying off for her it did um although it was I don't want to say it didn't have like a ton of support, I think, initially. So I'm curious about that, but we'll get there. And I said, oh my God, we're at Anne's place, Gatcombe Park, which is super close to High Grove. And it's really beautiful. And I Googled it because I, I didn't know where she was at. And it just screams like a Jane Austen summer book romance. Like it is beautiful and I would love to live there. And the queen has come to have her lunch with Anne. And Anne, sent, Anne is like not interested in this at all. And she's like, I don't have long. Like, let's hurry up. And the and she's like, it's going to rain. She's like, mom, are you sure you want to go out and do this? Like, Anne is trying to find any excuse to not go have this conversation. Queen's like, yes, Anne, I'm going to go ride the horse like with you, like deal with it. So um, I put horses are better than children for both of them. So they ride through the English countryside at a hard gallop. Like I was like shocked at how fast they were going. And I'm like, good for the queen. Like she's getting it done. And if you have never accidentally been in a hard gallop or if you're a good rider, it probably doesn't hurt you, but my God, does it hurt you if you don't know what you're doing? Cause I did this actually, I was sorry for the aside for my 30th birthday. We went horseback riding, um, on the beach in Ireland, which was beautiful. And the people I were with were apparently like pros of horse riding. And they're like, can we go for a gallop? And I was like, I'd really prefer not. And then they all take off galloping and my horse starts following them. And I felt like I got jackhammered in the crotch for like a week and had to go to physical therapy when I returned home. I shit you not. Like if you don't know what you're doing. You didn't start posting where you like stand up and. I tried. Like. (laughs) I don't recommend it if you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) Probably a good call. Sorry. Sorry for the random aside. No one cares, but I just, I'm still triggered by that. So when I saw this like six year old woman go into town riding, I was like, good for her. Um, the scenery is gorgeous. They go sit and it's like, Oh, it's so wet. Queen's like, it's fine. The queen is like, this is heaven. We're tucked in the country with rain and mud and horses and dogs, children and privacy. Is that your favorite line? No, my favorite line is, uh, it's in a different episode. Okay. And Anne says, it's not the Eden that she would choose or imagine. And I put always a pessimist. I love her. Um, the queen's like, oh, Anne says there's no privacy because we have paparazzi. She says the media is so mean to her that she's low key and doesn't want praise or attention or thanks, but a pat on the head, like the occasional pat on the head would be nice. The queen's like, oh, I know the feeling. Anne mentions that she, I, like she's doing real charitable work, like in unforgiving circumstances and in like other countries and high heat, like she is probably the most charitable amongst her siblings by far. Um, 
and she gets no attention for it, which I find it interesting in this moment where she's like, I don't want attention, but I get no attention. Or the attention she is getting is not for anything she's actually doing that is giving. Um, and so she's like, but all Diana has to do is put on a dress and the world falls over and we are compared. Lovely Diana, dumpy Anne. Smiling Diana, Diana grumpy Anne. Charming Diana, awful Anne. And this moment is probably my favorite moment of Anne, the actress Anne working. Cause it's she like, it's Anne. Like you, you don't even think that it's anyone. It could never be anyone, but Anne having this like meltdown with her mother, just being like, everyone judges me. I'm so exhausted. My life is not perfect. I hate everything and just like losing it. And the queen says, how is Mark? And Anne barks back and like, she's like, Mark's fine. I'm fine. The children are fine. And I just like love this moment so much. I don't know why it made me laugh out loud because I've been there. Like I've been there when your mom asks you a question that you (laughs) don't want to answer about your marriage or your parenting skills or anything. And it's just like, shut up, like leave me alone. And so the queen mentions non, not so like secretly about Anne's current affair. And like, the queen's like, we've decided to reassign him because I think he's in the military. So they're going to move him. Anne's face falls. And she's like, you cannot take him from me. He's all that makes me happy. And the queen says, you should have so much that makes you happy. And then Anne goes, then why does nothing make me happy? And it's actually this really sad moment where I don't think, I think everyone's been there at some point where if you have ever experienced depression, it's clear that Anne's depressed and she's angry and miserable. And I don't know if it's postpartum. I don't know if it's her marriage failing. I don't know if it's just the pressure of being compared to people and being Royal and never having privacy. It's just all of it all at once. But for some reason I have a lot more empathy and sympathy for her than I do for her brothers. (laughs) I don't know if it's because she's a woman. It just, doesn't seem like she doesn't seem selfish. I think that's the difference between her and her siblings. Like Mm -hmm. it's a, she's very, she puts the crown first. She does. And she's just exhausted and she's, she has things that bring her joy, but not at the cost of her country or large amounts of money. Like she's no frills. And I get, I get, she's probably my favorite. So I get why she's Philip's favorite. Um, the queen's like, you need to give it time. You just need to like chill out. It's gonna, it's gonna work itself out. And Anne shoots back doing nothing is your solution to everything. And Anne is crying and, but trying to like not openly cry. And they kind of just stare at each other. And Anne's like, I need to go. And she leaves and rides off to be privately emotional. Cause I just don't think she wants to break down in front of her mom. And the queen looks deeply concerned and sad and it's the most maternal moment I think I've seen from her. And I don't know if it's because she can also empathize like as a mother, as a wife, like in a way that she can't with her sons, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's a nice, it's a nice moment for the queen. Like she doesn't look like a bad mom to me really in this moment at all. No, because she does. And you'll, it kind of ties back in at the very end. Um, Okay, so in 1982, which is when this is set, Princess Anne fell off her horse at two different horse shows. So the Burgley Horse Show and the Badminton Horse Trials in May 1982. 
and photographers captured these moments and both of them like once she fell off into like a muddy little ravine and the other one she fell off into like muddy waters and the photographers captured this moment and laughed about it and this is when her infamous naff off comment was made and so she all these papers were like princess anne tells reporters to naff off naff off is not what she said she said the f word um and that was like a big deal so she's already being categorized as just like very gruff and grumpy. Uh, A 2002 Channel 4 doc, The Real Princess Anne, uh, it said that she's very blunt with reporters and less engaging with the press. In 1985, the New York Times did a 2020 review and asked if there was a state of rivalry with Wales, the Waleses and Princess Anne. Princess Diana set the record straight in 1985, saying that she gets along with Anne. She's constantly on the list of busiest royals. After Harry's birth, which is in 84, it's stated in the royal that Philip praised Anne, his favorite child, as the hardest working member of the royal family. She's represented the crown at 201 events. Diana was, so uh, in Diana, in her own words, it stated, Diana was praised for simply existing, being for being, not for doing. As one of her informal advisors said, quote, she is only expected to be the royal system to be a close horse and an obedient wife. If that is the way you are defined, there is little to praise other than the choice of clothes. If the clothes were partially partially picked by others, then there is nothing to praise. They, they set her nothing praiseworthy to do. Which is very Well, bad. I think it's interesting because like it's it's kind of how I think Kate has been viewed initially as like not needing to do a lot other than produce children, but Kate has definitely tried to have, you know, interests in the public and, and charitable outreach. I think Diana set that up though, as instead of just being a pretty face, like she started to really give back um, towards the end of her marriage and after their divorce too, she was very charitable. So mm-hmm. um. It's interesting because I th- they were they were supposed to be pretty seen and not heard. Yep. Yeah. According so uh, about the affair, it's this is interesting because I can't find any substantiated evidence between an affair with her and Peter Cross. In the Los Angeles Times on the sixth of August, nineteen eighty seven, it stated despite what he describes as very well supported supported allegations in 1985 that princess had an affair with her private detective peter cross whitaker said that he did not run with the story so the palace it was dismissed by the palace for being over familiar but then there are also rumors that cross is the father of princess anne's daughter zara according to whitaker and this is james whitaker for for the daily mirror however i'm sure there was an affair i i also so he was just when Scotland Yard became, oh, so I wrote this. So Mark Phillips, her husband, wanted to start his own horse business, and he was away a lot and was really lonely. And now it said soon after the affair was known to Scotland Yard, he was sacked. But the term overfamiliar, or affair wasn't used, it was overfamiliar. Um, and he didn't sell that story. Peter Cross didn't sell that story to the son until after he was divorced in 1984 because he didn't want it to ruin his marriage if it got out that he was having an affair with her. Okay. Mark Thatcher has been found. That's where we're at. Who cares? There you go. I was like, what else did you write? 
who cares? Like, get him off my screen. I don't care about these people. I don't care. Like, genuinely, I don't care. Um, Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher is back to her normal self, no longer the shell of a woman or human that she has been. Um, now we're off to a dinner where Mark is being the absolute worst. Like, I just want you to imagine the guy, like, the worst date of your life the worst date of your life if you're a woman or a man. I mean, whatever, but he's awful. He talks about how he knew what was going on the whole time. I even had, he's like, I even had time to read a book. It wasn't that big of a deal. And he's like, what are we eating? And, and princess or not princess. I got this. Why do they both have to be named Margaret? Margaret's like, Oh, it's toad in a hole. It's your favorite. And he's like, but there's no gravy. And he's like, so rude to his mother. I can't. So he's waxing poetic about how he's basically a celebrity. And now he had this amazing adventure. All these headlines about him being lost are nonsense because he knew where they were the whole time. His sister, Carol shoots back and was like, you were 30 miles off course. And he's like, well, you're supposed to make your own course. And she's like, well, I think your driver would disagree since she's now hospitalized with heat stroke. And he's like, well, she's just being overdramatic. And Margaret chimes in, of course she was. She's, or of course she's overdramatic. She's a woman. I can't. I hate them all. I hate them all. Burn them down. And put Carol as prime minister or DT. Um, Mark laughs about this like over-emotional woman comment. Carol looks completely defeated. Mark comments that... DT, their father, um, yelled at him when he was found. And Margaret's like, whatever for my perfect boy. And DT is like, well, I thought he could be more grateful to the men who rescued him. And, and prime minister Margaret's like, it's their job, isn't it? Implying that there's no thank you ever needed for anyone ever. And DT shakes his head. Carol chugs wine and gets up and like goes into the kitchen to get more wine, which I, we've all been at a family dinner like this. If you don't like your family, but if you do like your family, then maybe you haven't, but I'm assuming everyone's had that family conversation where you need more wine. Um, DT follows her into the kitchen. Carol is like, this is intolerable. And DT is like, it's just mothers and sons. And Carol says, thank God that there are fathers and daughters then. And DT says, you and me were the support act in this show. And it was a sweet moment. DT seems like he's a good dad. Um, it's also just, I hate Margaret Thatcher and Mark Thatcher. They can just go on the prayer car off-roading trip together and get lost forever. <laughs> um, we hear it a knock at the door because they're sitting upstairs in the, the prime minister building. What is it called? I can't remember what it's called. 10 Downing Street. Thank you. And so that's where they live upstairs. And so we hear a knock at the door and it's their intelligence saying that Buenos Aires is considering making an attack on the Falklands as well because it will play well with Argentine people. And prime minister is like, get the foreign minister. And they're like, he's out of town. She's like, get the chief of defense staff. And you're like, he's out of town. And then she's like, okay, get the fucking defense secretary now. They're like, he's out of town. And she's like, okay. They need to get their asses here by this time tomorrow night. Like, and they're all out of the country. So it's like, get them home now. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, so she's back to being her hard ass. Everything's back to normal. So we see a helicopter over the countryside. And I put, it's not the foreign secretary meeting Mags, because that's what I thought was happening initially when I watched it. It was like people were coming to meet her. Um, it's Prince Andrew trying to make an extreme entrance to lunch with his mother. 
So we see the queen and her staff working. We see the queen mother like sitting, being shocked about the noise of her head. Princess Margaret is passed out and sleeping, waking up, pulling off her eye mask. Um, like it's disrupting the whole castle or palace or wherever they're at. I don't know. It looks like they're at an estate. So I would say they were, it looks like Balmoral, but I, it's not. Windsor? So I don't know what Windsor? it might've been Windsor. I think you're right. Um, so he starts circling the castle and I, it's pretty funny actually. So the staff greet Andrew, he throws his helmet at one of them, just like such an entitled brat. Like you're my, you're here to like cater to me. Um, he's so pompous. I can't stand him, but he greets his mother, the warmest of everyone. He's super cute. And he's like, your majesty. And he's silly and charming. And her face is so much softer with him. If you rewatch this episode, like she seems the most relaxed you'll ever see her with any of her children. She asks how he got away with flying the chopper and he smirks and he says, I told the truth. I was summoned on a matter of national importance by the commander in chief of the armed forces. And the queen's like, this is a mother and son lunch, hardly a matter of national importance. And he's like, you're the queen and I'm second in line to the throne. If we break wind, it's a matter of national importance. I laughed. She laughed. But she looks like she's tickled and tells him to stop it. Now, here's my question. How is he second in throne? Did Anne or second in line to the throne? Because I don't actually know this. So it was, oh, God, how to... I forget the act, but essentially it was saying if you have males and females, all the males are in line first. Mm-hmm. However, it was changed, I want to say in 2011 or 12. So Charlotte actually will be, be second in line before uh, Prince Louis. Okay. Yeah, that's awful. Um, he wants, so he's like, I want to discuss my title. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, the one I'm going to get when I'm married. And the queen's like, are you getting married? And he's like, uh, not yet. Although who I'm dating is rather interesting. And Elizabeth's like, oh, that racy American actress. And they're talking about Koa Stark with the quote. Uh, and she, so the queen's like, I'm not sure which one of those words makes my heart break most, like racy American or actress. And I can't help but think of Megan. Um, and it made me laugh out loud, uh, since Harry is also, it's also interesting to me because it's always been reported that Harry is her favorite grandson. Um, I'm curious about their personalities of what they have in common that the queen likes. So, um, the queen is looking over her paper about the actress and says, well, I wouldn't know her from her work. And Andrew's like, well, have you not seen the awakening of Emily? And so, it's a in the the movie itself is set in the 1920s. It's about a 17 year old girl having um, coming home from boarding school to, and she's like seduced by a bunch of older men who teach her about sensual pleasures. And I put great. It's a pedophile's wet dream. Um, <laughs> so it sounds perfect for for Andrew. Uh, and I googled it because I was like I wanted to know a little bit more. And so like the critics did not like the script and. The Observer said that it should be, it it was actually pretty tame and they thought it was overly uh, censored and the sexuality could have been more explicit. Um, and, oh, what? Okay, sorry. Andrew is like absolutely tantalized and is loving talking about this. The queen is super uncomfortable. 
And she's like, is it even legal? And Andrew laughs back, who cares? And she's like, I care. And Andrew's like, it's just an art career and it's proper. So she could be a future duchess. And the queen is like, all of a sudden like, oh, I figured out your title. You're going to be the the Duke of York. It traditionally goes to the second eldest and it normally has a longstanding milita- military association. It's perfect. Um, and I put, where does the Duke of alleged pedophiles reign though? I want to know. Last. Never. <laughs> obviously this is fiction but it plays a lot to like who we know and what we know about andrew and his friends so they joke about the line of succession and the queen's like you'd have to kill your brother and his sons to become king and he's like well it's done been done before and she laughs again and is like well aren't you clever and he's like oh the salmon is so delicious and i'm like There you go. That right there, that salmon comment is what won him over. He (laughs) asks about the Falklands and it was like, I know you could never tell me anything secret, but if we do go to war, I want to make sure that I can serve at the front. I never want to be held back. And she's like, of course you could go. We're like, we would never shirk action. We're just like everyone else. Um, It's the first kid who's asked her something about her job. But also it's about him too. Um, He's complimented her. He's made her laugh. It's clear that she adores him, including his irreverence, his charm, and his apparent loyalty to the the country by wanting to serve. And she seems very proud. Um, So he copters off. She takes a deep breath of relief. Only one more child to go. Your turn. (laughs) Prince Andrew. All right. So, yes, the young, racy American actress, Koa Stark, she she starred in some erotic films, but I guess they're called, like, avant-garde, whatever. It is the closest that he came to being married until Fergie. They were spotted in Mystique at um, Princess Margaret's estate. They dated for about 18 months, and it was, they dated before and after his tour in the Falklands. When he says, when she's like, oh, I'm going to make you the, the Duke of York, and he's like, as in the grand old... It's a nursery rhyme. Oh, the grand old Duke, Duke of York, he had 10,000 men. He marched them up to the top of the hill, and he marched them down again. And when they were up, they were up. And when they were down, they were down. And when they were only halfway up, they were neither up nor down. Interesting little tidbit. Oh. He does say that the last two Dukes of York have become king. This is true. Prince George V was or King George V was Prince George, his great-grandfather. And then King George VI was Prince Albert, his grandfather. And after um, his brother abdicated, so he was Duke of York, but then his brother abdicated, and so he became the king. Um, Yes, when the queen says he would have to kill Charles and any of his children, I think this is a nod to Andrew always resenting the fact that he will never be king. I, It is kind of documented that he and Charles don't have like the best relationship. In the Falklands in real life, he was actually advised to take a desk job, but Elizabeth insisted he be allowed to serve as he was trained. And he ended up flying multiple missions as a helicopter pilot. And it's... I have this Which down. might be the like only respectable thing he's ever done. Yeah. I might have Also, I Googled Kustark. She's quite beautiful. She's stunning. Um, I'm very intrigued about 
the demise of that relationship and the start of the one with Fergie? Like what? So actually, Kustark did win a libel lawsuit because they said they were saying that even after he was married, they continued their affair. And that was not true. And she won a couple hundred thousand pounds from it because she was like, this isn't true. You guys are sullying my name. I'm just thinking about like Megan and suits and all the time she had like very low cut tops sitting on desks, flirting, being a racy American actress. That's just where my brain is. Part of me wonders if, so Philip had always, we can do a whole episode about this, but Philip had always said, you know, actresses are the ones you take, you like, you bed them, you don't take them home. He was, even though he was in love with Elizabeth, he was, had proposed to an actress, but she ended up marrying somebody else. And he was in love with her, was going to renounce his title and everything for her. And I think that kind of put a bad taste in his mouth. Oh, for sure. Because I don't think an actress makes a bad wife. I would never say that. Mm -mm. I just think it's very, it's clear that there is like, they turn their nose up to anyone in that career. Um, So we're back to Prime Minister Margaret. And to be honest, like, I have a lot of notes and I don't really care about it because like, it's so boring. Um, So they're basically telling her things are escalating in the Falklands. She's like, okay, we're going to like meet them and, and blow them up. She's well, not blow them up, but she's like, okay, it's time for war. And her cabinet's urging her to handle this diplomatically and not through a sign or force or aggression. And then there's an admiral there basically being like they lost that choice of diplomacy when they put a a Argentine flag on British land. And he's like, we are going to send a force of 30,000 men 8,000 miles away in the next 48 hours. And they're like, well, that's impossible because it'll take three weeks for ships to get there. And the land's going to be under Argentine control until then. So we may as well just like wash our hands of this. And Margaret's like, we're going to take them back. And the Admiral is like on her side. So they go upstairs and they like go to talk about it. And they're like, we're not going to survive going to war. This is expensive. Um, There's a lot of financial unrest in the country right now and high unemployment. So people are going to be really pissed if you spend this kind of money on an unnecessary war. And she's like, well, we will not survive not going to war. So we're going to fucking war. So Margaret heads upstairs. She's just announced they're going to war. She heads up to her flat and Carol's sitting there at their like dining room table. The prime minister's like, okay, the chiefs of staff are coming over for dinner. I need your help. We need to prepare. And I said, I don't know why she serves these men. How is she so traditional in this regard? Like she's literally making them dinner to discuss going to war, but it's also kind of nice. So I'm like a little torn about the moment. It's a wild choice though. Um, Her daughter walks into the kitchen and she's like, I want to talk to you. Why is Mark so obviously your favorite? You have twin children and you clearly prefer the other. Um, Prime Minister denies it, is like, it's untrue. Carol's like, it's very true and pipes up with, just because you had a difficult relationship with your own mother doesn't mean you should let it affect your relationship with all women, most of all, your daughter. And the Prime Minister's like, darling, you do pick your moments. And I'm like, she's not wrong. Like this of all the moments, like to have a fight with your mom when like, she's just announced we're going to war and all the chiefs of staff are coming over and you're like, I'm not your favorite. I agree with prime minister. Like this is not the time, but I also understand that Carol's like had it 
And she's like, this is the only time, like, you need to give me one of your minutes, I think is what she says. Like, cause there's this moment, like, can we do this at a different time? Like they're coming over in five minutes. And she's like, I need that minute. Anyway. Um, She's like, you disregard me, you overlook me, you favor Mark. And I'm like, good job, Carol. Like, way to say what you need to say. And Prime Minister finally agrees and says, because he's stronger, like my father was stronger. Yes, you were right. I did struggle with my mother, but it had nothing to do with her sex. It had to do with her weakness. I could not bear how she was prepared to just be a housewife. And Carol's like, well, that's because her husband treated her as such. And prime minister's like, your grandfather was great with women. And I'm like, she just has these rose colored glasses with like all men. Like she truly hates women. Mm -hmm. And she's like, my father tried with her, but there is a limit to what you can do if those themselves are limited. Basically inferring like, hey, Carol, you're weak. You're limited. Your brother's amazing. He's stronger. And I would like to read, like, back to when you gave them the reading of, like, who they are as people. Like, Carol has done and achieved so much. Her brother has done nothing except, like, illegal activity. So it's very interesting that still he's the primary, like, love of his mother's life. So, um, And it's just at this moment where it's like, get a good therapist, Carol. You're never, ever going to like fix this on your own. Like, it's just like, she's, your mom is awful. Um, Carol looks checked out. We see Carol serving dinner to like the whole staff. And I didn't know anything about Carol. So it's like, she's being treated as a housewife, which her mother views women to be weak if they're housewives. But it's like, she's actually not. You're just treating her that way. So go ahead. Okay, so Sir Henley Leach, he was the head of the Navy, and he told her, he was like, hey, I'll take back the islands. So she did establish a work cabinet, and she deferred to military commanders and supported their decisions, which was in stark opposition to how she handled things domestically. When she did send a lot of the Brits to the Falklands, a lot of them had no idea where they were going, and they thought they were going to islands off the coast of Scotland. But it's actually right by Argentina. It sounds like me. They sound like me. Where is it? I don't know. Um, so we're at Highgrove now, um, which is Prince Charles's home, and the staff is setting the table. So we're at our final lunch. Charles is screaming at a pregnant Diana to get out of her bed for lunch. He's like, not only is she your mother-in-law, she's the queen. I kind of agree with Charles in this moment, but also none of the other spouses were present at their lunches or like girlfriends. So I think it's like okay that it's just Charles. Like, I think that was the intention anyway. So Diana continues to watch cartoons. Charles calls her pathetic. Um, Diana seems absolutely miserable. The queen arrives and it's eight people plus Charles out to greet her. Like it's a large staff at his home. The queen doesn't seem to be offended at all that Diana can't make it. The queen's like, oh, I was lucky to not have a difficult pregnancy. And he's like, well, you two are very different women. And I'm like, fuck you. Like, fuck you. Pregnancy hits everyone differently. And also your wife is depressed. Um, So they walk the grounds and she comments on the amount of people that are working. And he's like, it looks like a lot, but I had to start from scratch. And she's like, it's too quiet. There's no bugs. And he's like, well, there's no grounds yet. And he's like, 
I really just want to build these amazing gardens. And there's some great quotes in here. So I'm going to read them because I think it like speaks to how Charles views himself. Um, He's like, it's important when embarking on a project like this to have purity of purpose, a single controlling idea at the heart of it all. And the queen's like, what's your purpose? And he's like that eventually the house, the land and the gardens should reflect who I really am and what I am really about. Imagine that is the heir to the throne. Like your main goal is this garden. Although I did Google, they're beautiful gardens. Um, And he's allowed to have his hobbies outside of his work. And this is clearly his passion. And she goes, so the the big idea is you? Like, you're so self-absorbed. Basically, he doesn't respond. And he just kind of sits there. And then he talks about how he wants everything to be unconventionally organic. And she's like, well, is that you too? And he's like, well, is there anyone reasonably interesting that's conventional? And he's like, I don't want any straight lines. And he's talking about all he wants everything to grow. And it's just like annoying, but like she's listening and being polite and loving. And she's like, but the pool has straight lines and the tennis courts have straight lines. And he's like, oh, mom, stop. And I'm just like, I love her that she's like basically like calling him out on his like philosophical plant bullshit. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I really think I can be happy here. It's my Shangri-La or my Xanadu. And I'm like, I roll, but I'm glad he is finding his joy. He just is having a lot of other people do the gardening for him, it appears. Um, So if gardening was really his joy, I would love to see him in that dirt, planting that bulb, like just doing something other than he does now though. I'm sure he does now. And I'm sure he probably did, but the way that they're portraying him is like, an overseer of his plantation and it's just not doesn't make me like think highly of him yeah um he's so over the top about the plants and he's so emotional and she's so literal and that's why i love that moment of the like straight lines comment because she's so literal and he is so not and they have nothing in common like truly and she's like let's go eat i have to be home at six like let's get this shit on the road And so Charles is complaining that he doesn't know why Diana is so miserable, locking herself in her room, watching cartoons. Uh, He calls her intellectually incurious and she constantly talks about how much she misses London. And the queen says, perhaps that's what she likes. Perhaps this part of the world doesn't suit her. And it's like, ding, 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 like bingo, like flashing lights everywhere. Like, here's your sign, Charles. Like, You are being selfish. Your wife needs to be around people. Um, Elizabeth comments that she was initially curious why he chose Highgrove and Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire? Gloucestershire, I think. It's a hard word, guys. Um, He's like, well, it's close to the RAF airfields and Anne. And Queen's like, oh, but it's only 15 minutes to your your mistress. And basically, like, calls him out on Camilla. And for a reference, because I'm like, 15 minutes isn't that close, but Buckingham Palace to Highgrove is two hours and like 15 minutes. So it would not be a daily trip that he could make to see Camilla if he wanted to, or every so often if they were in London. Um, So I put London would just not be suitable for his dick. And he's just very entitled, very selfish, 
very self-focused. Um, Charles says he and Camilla just hunt and talk on the phone. It's nothing more than that. And the queen's like, well, how often? And he yells back at her as often as necessary, more often when I need cheering up. And she like shoots back when you need cheering up. You just bought your dream house, your Xanadu, that you and an army of sycophants are turning into the living embodiment of your soul. And your young, beautiful wife, struggling with pregnancy, has locked herself in her room upstairs and is refusing to come out. You know I hate interfering. It's not for me to tell a grown man what to do. But in your position, I might be inclined to worry less about my own happiness and pay a little more attention to the well-being of the mother of my future child. And I love her, love her. Amen. Amen. You're on mute. But yes, no, it was the same thing. I just, oh, I, just I was like, <laughs> my drop. <laughs> my drop. it was such a wonderful quote, but it's so true. Like, seriously, like he is so self-focused. The queen mm-hmm. with as close of a slam as we will ever see her do puts her knife on the plate signaling if she's done with the meal and we see her go out and the car drives away. Like she's like, grow up is basically like what she's telling him. Like you just, you need to be a man. Uh, Charles is standing with his bad posture, watching his mother drive away. Diana is watching out a window, holding her giant pregnant belly. I think this is William. Mm -hmm. Okay. Charles looks up at the stairs as he walks back inside to Diana's door. And I think he's contemplating if he should like go check on her, go talk to her, like, what will make her happy. But instead he just like turns around and walks into his office and shuts the door. And I put most likely to call Camilla because we've seen him call her from there before. Um, The queen is later at back at Buckingham palace, flipping through baby books of her children. And she's like reminiscing missing. I think she's also like deeply thinking about has she made mistakes? What things went wrong in their childhoods to make them where they are now, what things to shoot. It's just like normal mom stress. And I think she's also trying to figure out like really who is her favorite. Is it normal to have one? Like just a lot of internal introspective thought about parenting and motherhood. Um, And I put, who could her favorite be? Cranky Anne who pushes her away, self-absorbed and money hungry Edward, self-indulging and bratty Charles, Or Andrew, who makes her laugh and shows her the only joy I saw her have this entire episode. The queen calls like an SOS ladies chat with her mom and her sister. And they're like, what's the matter? And she's like, I need a drink. And they're like, is everything okay? She's like, it's a cry for help. And then we don't see the rest of the scene. But she looks like overwhelmed, heartbroken. Like, I just need to like figure this shit out. So go to you. For Prince Charles, so in the scene, Diana is pregnant with William. She did suffer from hypermesis Javardi, Javardum, HG, what, uh, it, the same stuff that Kate It's hyperemesis Gavardium. It's like what oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's extreme morning sickness. Charles couldn't handle her, and I'm going to air quote this, mood swings, so he would literally just leave and go to Camilla. She, Diana was being hounded by the press and Diana begged the queen for help and the queen requested that the press leave her alone and it actually lasted six weeks, which was great. After Christmas, Charles or Diana told Charles, if you leave me alone again, I will kill myself. And he left. So she threw herself down a short flight of stairs. The queen mother found her. A doctor was summoned to check her out. Um, and obviously everything was okay. 
it's interesting. Prince Charles says, this is his Xanadu. And Anne said, it's not the Eden you think it is, which I thought was so incredibly parallel. Um, in Diana, her, her true story in her own words, she says, he ignores me everywhere and has done for a long time. He just dismisses me. She would, for example, never contemplate making any input into any of his special interests, such as architecture, the environment, or agriculture. Painful experience told her that any suggestion would be treated with ill-disguised contempt. He makes her feel intellectually insecure and inferior and constantly reinforces that message, noted a close friend. When Charles took his wife to see the Oscar Wilde play A Woman of No Importance to celebrate his 43rd birthday, the irony was not lost on her friends. He also specifically refers to the Lawrence Vanderpost visiting, and in real life, Charles brought several of several books by Vanderpost along on their honeymoon, hoping they could both read it together and like discuss the marriage. So that was an interesting little tidbit, and full credit for that find goes to Rachel Dixon, um, was on her blog, and essentially the queen is preparing Charles to be the king. He's like, put your country first. Your 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 wife is going to give birth to an heir. So put your country first and stop thinking about yourself. It bothers me how much he hates her. And you'll see in the season. And I know that it's like the, the Netflix's view of their marriage, but he resents her so much through this season. And it's just really shocking to me. If you watch Diana Seven Days That Shook the World, it, there's a heartbreaking moment where, so after Diana passed, as she was in Paris and everybody else was at Balmoral, um, Prince Charles is like, mom, I, I need the jet. I, I have to go. And she's like, no, you don't. And he's like, no, I do. And so there was a hot minute where he was actually going to fly commercial to Paris. And so he gets to Paris and he drapes her, her coffin with the Royal standard, which is a big deal. And essentially the documentarians were like, he showed her more respect in death than he ever did in life. And it, it's truly, but I think it's guilt. Like he knew he treated her so shitty and Mm -hmm. he's like, I have to at least do this the right way. Um, It's I'm excited for the next seasons when they cover her passing, just because I feel like there will be more like in all of these episodes, um, there's more gossip and more notes that we might not necessarily be able to find on our own, but they're always based in something. And so I'm curious what little tidbits we'll get from her passing. I hope they, I also hope it doesn't like sensationalize it in a way that like loses the, the idea that, you know, we lost her, not like, you know, but Mm -hmm. they seem to handle the show pretty well, obviously. So, um, so we're back in to the show and Philip walks into Elizabeth's room and he's like, open door. Is that an invitation? And she's like, not that kind of invitation. And I put Royal hanky panky is shot down. And she's like, I want to talk. And so he walks in to listen and he's like, so did you reach a conclusion on your favorite child? Also, I find him so sexy. This, this is the first time I found Philip sexy. Like, this episode anyway sorry um and she says the conclusion i've come to is that our children who are the ones who are lost not the prime ministers each in their own deserts and it's really sad and philip's like Anne's not lost and the queen's like well her marriage is and edward 
Philip's like, Edward's not lost. And the queen's like, I disagree. He's lost, bullied, and vengeful. And Philip's like, well, Charles is lost. I'll agree with you there, but he always has been. And I just like laughed because like no one likes Charles, that poor boy. <laughs> and um, she mentions Andrew and Philip's like, oh, your favorite. Like you, you realizing that? And she goes, I guess I agree if he doesn't change. Like kind of like. Anyway, um, she talks about the advice that her mother had just given her in that like that uh, SOS room with her sister and her mom had told her that I must not blame myself. I'm already mother to the nation. And Philip's like, I agree with you. And I agree with her. And the queen talks about how she is like, just very like she's stuck in her own head. She's like, I wanted more kids. You were fine with Anne and Charles. And I pushed for more because I wanted to have Andrew and Edward to make up for the feelings I had as a parent with the first two, especially with Charles. And then she talks about how she's like, you're a man, you wouldn't understand, but I always thought I would do better. I thought I'd be the one to handle bath time, not the nannies. But when it came to it, I would just sit in the chair in the background because I didn't know how to hold him or touch him. And I, this actually broke me because I've had moments as a parent where I'm like, like, and I have a nanny who I adore and she is so much more natural with my son than I am sometimes. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? And it's just like, you have these moments where some people are naturally nurturing and maternal and some people aren't. And I'm also like, oh, she can do it better than I can. So I may as well not get involved in that moment. You know, so I I can empathize with the queen in this episode, just being like, I'm just going to mess up. I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just let someone who's a professional handle it so that I don't, you know, do it, you know, just like that kind of thing. So I get it. Um, Philip is like, look at me. You need to stop this nonsense. You're a perfectly good mother. The children are adults. They are responsible for sorting themselves out. He's like, it is your job too. And she cuts him off and says, stick around, stay alive and keep breathing. And he shakes his head and he's like, for all of our sakes, he kisses her. And it is like the realest marriage moment I've ever seen between them on this show. And I loved it because I totally believe he had affairs in the early parts of their marriage, like a thousand percent. I do not think he was like super faithful, Um, but it is very evident. And also when he speaks to like Charles in the past, like he'll grow to love Diana. It is evident at least from this, that he has grown to love Elizabeth. Um, And there's just a lot of respect in this moment the queen goes to bed like he walks back to his own room and we get a voiceover and some historical footage of um ships heading to the falkland falklands falklands i the word britain is officially at war and um i think we pick that back up next episode but you had some more stuff to add yes and i'm sorry i was um okay i didn't highlight it so how you said that she wanted to, the queen wanted to make up for the failures. I'm going to air quote failures of princess Anne and Prince Charles. And in the book, the Royals. So their nannies took the children into the queen's sitting room at 9am for a visit every day and promptly whisked them away by 930 when she sat down at her desk to work. Usually Anne did not want to leave, but her brother would pull her away saying, Anne, you must not bother mommy. She's busy. She's queening. Which I thought was darling. Um, 
but Charles and Anne were constantly left with nannies. Charles's first word was actually um, Nana and not Mama. And he has stated that he had a miserable childhood. Prince Philip missed his first five birthdays. So Philip was stationed in Malta. So Elizabeth had the baby. And then she, I think just a few weeks after the baby, she left him there with the nannies and the grandparents and went to Malta with Philip. And then on a break where she came back to London, she discovered she was pregnant again. I think having kids for her was part of her duty. And initially, I'm sure she like obviously loves her children. Mm-hmm. I just think it wasn't like something that she thought she did because she wanted to. She did because she had to. Well, and also think about it this way. This was what before they were. I mean, they they were royal, but she was not going to be the the queen. And they were a family of um, they had they were well off. And this is how her parents did it. Like mm-hmm. when you are a very well-off family back in the, the 30s, 40s, you you didn't raise your own kids. Your nannies did. Um, Lord Mountain Met. Also, she was quite young. Not that that matters. Oh, yeah. She, I think yeah. 21, 22 when she had them. Uh, Lord Mountbatten has been quoted saying, loneliness is something royal children will always suffer and always will. And Andrew is said to be the favorite. There are a numerous amount of articles stating that he is her favorite. And a lot of speculation is because the queen didn't spend a lot of time with Charles and Anne. She was, you know, young motherhood and then thrust into being the sovereign. And so she had more time to spend, spend with Andrew and Edward. See, and I don't really hear anything about Edward, but it's obvious by those two children how much she indulged them based on their behaviors and their adulthood. Mm -hmm. Because like Anne and Charles are incredibly focused on work and it seems like Andrew is focused on himself. And so does Edward based on, I don't really know anything about Edward. Edward has turned a corner and I very much enjoy him now. I, for a long time, people thought he was gay and they had a a few suits on that because he just was busy doing his production company. He was really into Hollywood. Well, he's married to Sophie. Okay. I mean, it is, but I, I love Sophie, and I think she does wonderful things for the monarchy. They have been um, embroiled in a few scandals, um, you know, selling their wedding photos for money. Um, Sophie worked at a PR agency and was kind of, like, doxxed, and somebody was there, like, recording and, and, and took that recording and sold it. So there's a lot of smaller things that have gone on behind the scenes, but I do really enjoy edward and sophie okay i um i will have to look more into them but i just find it interesting how like little i know or care about them didn't they aren't they stepping up more sophie and edward because of megan and harry exiting i think so okay they were in that staged photo at the end of the tour yep okay and i'm talking about the train tour that kate and william just went on um there was a photo with Sophie and Edward, which I didn't, I guess this sounds terrible as someone who like loves royal family. I never put it together that that was like the queen's son. I thought that was just like a cousin, like a random, like I'm so like, (laughs) imagine like, he's just such a spare to me. Don't care. He is very far down the line. He what? He is very far down the line. Like, so yeah. Yeah. Like I care more about Beatrice and Eugenie than I do about him. But maybe it's because they're closer in my age. So like we have more in common in terms of like 
parenting and marriage and like versus yeah i don't know but i also like andrew man he's never going to be shown again and i think that's why the queen has like it took her so long to remove him from working duties because he is her favorite and she indulges him she does and i'm very curious about like if she even views what he did as wrong or if he's just lying to her i think in this episode they do a good job showing that she does care about a woman potentially being in an illegal minor situation um and it's obviously a nod to what's happening current event wise with him Mm -hmm. um like, I don't think they portrayed her poorly. Like, everything I've read this about the season before I watched it was, like, the queen doesn't look good. And I'm like, I actually don't know if I agree with that. I think it's her children that don't look good. I would agree. I would agree in this season. So. Yeah, I have thoughts. And we can we can talk about them when, when the episode comes out. Because I did finish the season. I can't wait to hear what you think. We'll have to yeah. pause or we'll have to stop the recording and you can tell me about it. But, um, yeah. but thank you guys so much for listening. And yeah. we'll, we're obviously like a week, I think we're about a week behind in current events. So by the time you listen to this episode, you're going to be like, that was last week, but oh, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas yeah. the day that this will be released. <laughs> oh, yes. Merry Christmas and, and also- happy holidays and happy yes. year. Just for my sister, um, rate, review and subscribe. She hates when people ask to do that. And so I told her I wouldn't do that. (laughs) So like one day we might get like an advertisement and then we'll be influencers and I'll roll my eyes and be like, you got to try that butcher box steak. Maybe if we're lucky, lucky. we should actually (laughs) review the clever thing and just be like, it tastes terrible. But what if it's delicious? I don't know. It's an instant latte. I can't help but think of friends where Chandler and Ross are afraid of those guys from the coffee house. And so they're, they're drinking cappuccino with a K. So, all right, guys, well, we will see you um, next week. Bye. Bye.